Hey everyone, Travis here. Today we have part one of a special two-part live episode with authors Christina Suntornvat and Meg Medina. Meg won the 2019 Newbery Medal for her book, Mercy Suarez Changes Gears. Christina earned not one but two Newbery Honors in 2021 for her books, A Wish in the Dark and All 13. Let's get started. Welcome to The Yarn, a School Library Journal production. I'm Travis Yonker. We are here in Washington, D.C. at the American Library Association Annual Conference. Today is a special episode of our show. Thank you all for coming. This session is called What's New Newberry Authors? And I'm thrilled to be talking with two wonderful authors with some Newberry experience here. I wanted to kind of start off talking about the Newberries, since that's kind of the focus of the, the session today. Newberry at 100. And I was just kind of curious, you know, are there any Newberry medal or honor books that you loved as a kid or maybe that you came to later as an adult? Meg, do you want to start? Um, yes, I'm going to start with the most recent one. I, so, all 13. Oh. Uh. <laughs> um, I, I am not usually a nonfiction reader. And so, I was just so surprised by how riveting it was. I was completely invested in this book. And I talk about this book to everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I share it widely. I talk to adults about it all the time. I think you did an amazing job. And so I'm going to put that one up. Oh, That's thank awesome. you, Meg. You do talk about it a lot. And every time I, I just do. appreciate <laughs> it so much. I'm just like, next, blurbing my book right now. It's so great. Blurbing it in person <laughs> all, anytime. Uh, Christina, what about you for, for a Newberry book that maybe was meaningful to you in the past yeah. or present? Yeah, well, um, as a kid, uh, True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Avi was one of my favorites. And um, also the Susan Cooper series, um, The Dark is Rising, that was like made me into a fantasy geek like so hard. And the fact that it won the Newberry too was like so big. And my kids and I read Mercy Suarez as a family out loud. And that was so meaningful for us. So, I mean, so many amazing books. Yeah. It's kind of an unfair question because, I mean, do you re I read a lot of the Newberries, and yes, so I yeah. love them all. Like, as yeah. I'm reading each one, I fall in love with that one a yes. lot. Yeah. The graveyard book, like on and on and on. So, yeah. you know. That is so true. It's like when you're in the middle of one, you yeah. think, this is my favorite, right? Yes. Um, so, following up just on the Newberry experience, you know, both of you have some experience with the Newberry. And I just kind of was hoping maybe you could walk us through like what your Newberry year was like a little bit, you know, starting from when you found out the news to how it kind of affected career life for that year. Um, Meg, do you want to start? Sure. Um, so the morning that they made the call, I went to the YMCA to, to work out because I was feeling a little bruised. I thought maybe the Mercy book might get like a nod from the Puda Bel Pre and I knew they called the night before and I sit up very late the night before saying things to my husband like are you sure the phone didn't ring like those bizarre things okay I'm just telling you how it is right so um, and then it it didn't and that was fine and so I went to the gym and the phone kept ringing 
while I was in the shower and I came out and then I noticed that it said Washington and Ellen Riordan started to speak. I know she was saying all the things of who she was, but I kept saying the word no. I said it multiple times <laughs> and then she said yes and she repeated it very calmly and then I burst into tears oh and there is a video of this somewhere, a recording of it, which is just, I, I don't even, it's so overwhelming in the moment because it's such a surprise and. Okay, well, I was going to ask, were you, na were you naked? You I said you were, came out of the shower. Oh, I, I imagine you like Newberry. in a towel. <laughs> I was probably half dressed, no makeup on, I'm sure. My hair was wet. Like it was that kind of thing. Oh. And the first thing I did was I called my husband and I told him to go into a private room at work so that I could tell him. And I've been married, this weekend, my husband and I were married 39 years. So we've been married a long time. I've known him since I was five years old. So he burst into tears. And then my editor and I spoke, and all I kept saying was, Kate, what just happened here? What just happened here? And we had a long cry together there. It's just, I mean, it was immense. It was immense. So that was the call. Yeah. Um, what was your call like? And then I, we could talk about the year back yeah, and yeah, forth. Christina. What was your call like? Well, my sure? call um, uh, came the night before. And so I, and I, I was not on my radar, not even one speck on my radar at all. And, um, and so, yeah, you always hear the legend is the call comes in the early morning, right? And it, this came at 6 p.m. The, the night before. And my husband and I were cooking dinner. And my kids were FaceTiming with my in-laws, with his parents. And, um, and my daughter comes in. And she's like, somebody from Chicago keeps calling. And I just <laughs> hung up the phone on my in-laws immediately, <laughs> like without saying a single word to them. And I was just like, end. And and took the call and that was yeah they were like this is the Newberry committee and we're calling to tell you about all 13 was um, that it got an honor and so they said that and yeah, my husband and I burst into tears which this is we love our husbands that's so <laughs> sweet that our husbands both <laughs> cried with us <laughs> um, and then that that call was over and I'm like just trying to like absorb what happens and then we get another call and it and I thought it who was does like, that I, I was like they I it's a mistake or they have more information for me they need to tell me like a zoom link or something and they they repeated the whole thing again for a wish in the dark so it's just, yeah, it's just crazy. I have questions about that. From a logistics place, don't you think they should have just done one call and <laughs> said, and when you finish, like, with one thing, they should have said, okay, now here's something else. That was um, the committee chair, Dr. Jonda McNair. That was her idea to make two calls, which oh I just love. That is so, uh, just so funny. It's just, I love that. Okay. <laughs> It's, it's like, why deprive you of that extra call, you know? It's just like, yeah, couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. So then, Meg, what was it like following, following that? You know, what was the year like? How did that change life, career, those sorts of things? Did you, did you feel it, you know? So there is a time when you're sort of numb, right? You're just like tingling and you're not sure what on earth is going to happen. And then it's like a really explosive change in your career, right? Suddenly the book is very widely available and many calls to come to schools or conferences and so on. And um, it just, it, you, you suddenly 
are one day writing your stuff and the next day you're very, very visible. So um, time management became overwhelming, right? Just responding to emails and mail and thing became hard. So um, I had a, a, an acquaintance who is now my assistant. Her name is Carrie Poor. She used to work at um, politics and prose and so on. And so I got help to help me do that. And the other thing that feels really wonderful, my publisher knew what that experience was going to be like. And so my publicist at Candlewick just we have a closer relationship now. Like I, I talk to her more often, we touch base more often, just to keep all the balls spinning. But the other thing that happens is, is a mental sort of shift of what you're gonna do in this one precious year that you have this because it's it's only yours for a little while and then that beautiful honor belongs to somebody else and then you're part of the family. You're part of the scaffolding of authors yeah. right and so that became a um, both a pressure and a privilege to figure out how to use this award for the Latino community for diverse books for all of that yeah, that's amazing. what about you Christina what what um, was the, the aftermath there the year following well, the, just my award year was in the during the pandemic, so it was a year, as we all know. Mm. <laughs> so I feel like uh, I feel like I'm still like this is like the first time, is it, like going to the Texas Library Association conference this spring, and then this this is the first time going out and like people know about it and they've read the books, and uh, so it feels like the first like in-person moment that we're having to celebrate, which is really cool. So yeah, it just, for a long time, it really felt like, I don't really think it happened because we were just on Zoom. It felt fake. It felt like they were punking me or something. Um, but yeah, um, all of the things, I, th I think for me, like having a new book coming out and just being like, okay, it's very different from A Wish in the Dark. So if people were expecting that, like you just put all of this pressure on you that you probably wouldn't have had if you wouldn't be, if that wouldn't be a Newbery Honor book, you know, you, you would feel maybe a little bit lighter in terms of what people are expecting, so, yeah. That, that is a forever pressure, though, that, yeah. that now happens, right? Yeah. So now, when you're taking a risk to write something new, or you start a new book, or you're writing anything, you feel like it has to be as good as that, and, right? Yeah. You know, it, it just feels, it can be, immobilizing in that way so you, you have to spend a lot of time unpacking that in yourself and returning to like why you write what you want to experiment with what you're still interested in like all of that yeah. because there's this pressure this feeling that you're going to embarrass yourself or you're not yes. going to meet people's expectations and there's no guarantee right in the right. in an artist's life if you're really doing the thing that artists are supposed to do you're supposed to be pushing yourself and scaring yourself and and going down new avenues and and it's up and down yeah, that's that, so that was actually my next question. Just the idea of like the sh the shift, the mindset shift. Christina, did you feel that too? Just you know, were you able to start writing again right away? Did you have to take some time? How did that go? 
Um, I think like people have been coming up to me this conference and being like, oh, you have so many books coming out. Like, what? how do you do all of that? And I think that was like my response to feeling scared is like, I'm just gonna like go and just keep running and like so that I don't stop and think about it. So like, I, I didn't take time off. I think that would have been bad for me to take time and like, I, yeah, I think I would have maybe frozen up a little bit. Um, I think it also helped that like right before um, the, those books came out. I wrote the Diary of an Ice Princess series for Scholastic, which like are have not been ever won anything, <laughs> but were like so fun and like just loose and freeing. And I think it helped give me something that like I'm not I'm not just those just those honor books. Like I'm I, ha I have lots of other different things going on. It's just, got, it's just, it's so such a mental. It thing, is mental. all these mental things we have to do to keep ourselves going. So, yeah. True. The the Diary of Nice Princess has won lots of checkouts at my school library. Yeah, yeah. So it has won that. It's won kids' hearts at my school. Um, so okay, new books. Let's let's talk about them. Meg, could you share a little bit about your latest? It's, yes. It's coming so, in, in the fall. So um, coming in September is Merci Suarez plays it cool. So Merci Suarez Changes Gears was followed by Merci Suarez Can't Dance. Um, and that second book was her in the seventh grade. The first book is, of course, her sixth grade year. And this one is the last one in her story, her eighth grade year. And the, the pressure of it was bringing everything in for a safe landing for the reader, right? And there were so many threads. Think of yourself in middle school, if you dare right? <laughs> who you were in the sixth grade versus who you were in the eighth grade and all the things that happen inside of us, right? So speaking that truthfully and bringing in um, the stories of, of illness, um, of grief, how we grieve. And I really gave some thought to the girls' relationships to each other over the course of middle school. Edna was so brutal to Medici in the sixth grade, but we all change, including girls like Edna, right? But how to make her change realistically and not in some sort of saccharine way. So I feel like you can pick any of the books up in any order and, and have a satisfying experience, although I want you to read all three, please. Um, I'm going to miss this family. They've become so real inside of me. Um, like I can predict what the Aines would say or what Tomas and Axel would do left alone in a grocery store. Uh, you know, I can... I feel them so deeply and I'm going to miss them and my biggest wish for the trilogy is that they live for a long time in schools and that kids can read her journey and sort of embrace that. So did, did you that's always did you always have it in mind of a trilogy was it like a standalone book and then some you know it, it... Oh, it was a short story. In the beginning, it was in uh, the anthology Soul Painting. The story is called Soul Painting Ink, and the anthology is called Flying Lessons yes. and other stories. Yes. You guys may have it in your libraries. Um, and that's where Medici right. first emerged yeah. with a slightly different family structure, but that was basically the first time I met her. And I just fell in love with her and wrote her novel. 
And after I committed to the idea of following her into the seventh grade, then I knew that there would be eighth grade. But in the f- when I first wrote the novel, the first one, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Middle school, it's kind of is like the perfect trilogy, right? Yeah. 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 But I love that you're going into eighth grade and you're writing it for eighth graders because, or, you know, like yeah. an older middle school. I feel like there's not, not as many stories for that. And it's such yeah. a complex, it's so different from sixth grade. I, that was hard, actually. <laughs> I got to tell you, writing middle grade when the character is now 14, right, or 13, about to be 14, you have to really be careful, right? Because who's reading the book, right? Yeah. So kids in the fifth grade or in yeah. sixth grade, right? And so, so figuring out how to really draw the world honestly, but with tact for who the kids are who are reading this book. So that took some, some doing. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, Christina, how about The Last Map Maker? Yes, Can the you last, tell us a little about it? Yeah, so The Last Map Maker is fantasy, and it's a, like A Wish in the Dark set and inspired by Southeast Asian world. And so this is about a 12-year-old girl who is an apprentice to a map maker. And her name is Sai, and she is hiding a big secret about her life, her past. So in the world that she lives in, your lineage, your ancestors, who you are, who you know, all of that kind of like determines your course in life. It's not unlike our world now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But super important for her world and where she comes from is none of that. She has no background, no connections at all. So when her map maker gets an opportunity to go on an expedition and make a map of an undiscovered quote unquote continent, um, she jumps at the chance to join him and, and gets on board this ship. Um, but when she's on board, she finds out everyone on the ship has secrets, including her map maker, including the captain. So it's not just her that's hiding things. She has to decide who she's going to trust, who's she going to betray, and how far is she willing to go to get her dreams. So. It, it's such a cool fantasy adventure kind of all put together. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I read it. It's really fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, was there any like, particular thing that was the spark of an idea for this book? Yeah, I, I mean, I've always really loved maps. And so, like, when I was thinking about the story, I was like, okay, it's, maybe there's a map maker in there. And so I started reading some about, like, the history of map making. And one thing, you know, I hadn't thought about is, okay, so now we, we have satellite, super accurate maps, right? But hundreds of years ago, the people who made the maps, like, a lot of times they just, if they didn't know for sure, they would just make things up. So, like, how, how a map really said so much about the person who made the map. Like, what they thought was important. What did they put at the center? Which places got to be really big? Like, you know, Europe, the Western Hemisphere would get really inflated. What places were dark and shadowy, right? So, um, so just that idea that a map tells a story and that you can influence the trajectory of all of these other people by how you draw it, that's kind of what sparked it. Yeah. I liked all the sea things, like all the, the, you know, all of the nautical information in there. It was like a high seas adventure. Yeah. It was, yes. it was very good. That's my, that's true confessions of Charlotte Doyle. Oh, Inspiration. okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> my love for that book coming through. Next time on The Yarn, 
part two of my conversation with Meg Medina and Christina Suntornbach. I'm Travis Yonker. Thanks for listening. Thank you.